Amen. Good morning. I love Pastor Michael. I always say if I, have, if I ever had a, a son, which I don't, I've got two son-in-laws that I inherited and I didn't have to pay for. But if I ever had a son, I would want him to be just like Michael. Love you, Michael. So if I am uh, preaching this morning and, uh, and I happen to be like staring at you, I just want to encourage you that it's not that I'm preaching at you, it's just that you smiled at me and I'm looking in desperation for someone to smile, okay? So if you don't want me to stare at you, don't smile at me. Let's stand uh, this morning together in honor of the Word of God and read it together as a congregation. You don't have to read it out loud. I'll read it. You can follow silently. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you didn't bring your Bible, shame on you. No, as, pa- as Wes Schultz said to me this morning, if you don't have your Bibles, we're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Okay, let's read from verse 1 of chapter 9. For it is superfluous. I stumble on that word every time I read it. It's easy to read it silently, but it's hard to read it out loud. It is superfluous. There we go. For me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent... The brethren, in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared to give, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift." So that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver." And God is able to make all grace abounds to you, so that having, always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray together, shall we? 
Lord Jesus Christ, you had said in your word, which never changes, in the Gospel of John, I believe it's in chapter 8 and verse 50, something like that, you said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so today, Father, today, Lord Jesus, today, blessed Holy Spirit, we ask that in your presence here today, that you would help us to know the truth, to see the truth, to grasp the truth, to understand the truth, and to believe the truth so that we can be free. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, in the... Uh, by the way, my name is Barry Schmidt. For those of you who don't know me, I, uh, I, I am a uh, painter by vocation. I am an elder by calling, and I am a preacher by reluctance. Um, and uh, I'm given in the 26 minutes and three and a half seconds that I'm allotted, I ha we have to go through, I have to exposit an entire chapter of scripture. So I'm going to be plowing deeply, and I'm going to be plowing quickly. So you'll need to bear with me and just hang in there with me. Come with me. Put your thinking cap on. Give me your full attention. Give the word of God your attention. And I know that you're going to get, you're going to be blessed by the message in this passage of scripture. Now, one of the popular commentators has entitled these two chapters on giving in chapter 8 and chapter 9 in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, they've entitled it The Complete Compendium on New Covenant Giving. And I completely agree with that title. I think it's a great title. I think it's absolutely true that if you want to know what God, what God expects a new covenant giver to look like, you read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. But I personally have entitled these two chapters Grace-Based Giving. And here is why. If you carefully read these two chapters on Christian giving, you will discover that Paul uses and repeats the word grace no less than seven times in two short chapters. Now, if when we examine a passage of Scripture and we see the same word repeated seven times in two paragraphs, it's safe to say that that is the main point the author is wanting to make. If your wife says, fellas, if your wife says to, you, to me, you know, Christmas is coming, I, I really like, uh, you know, ruby earrings. And, uh, you know, Christmas is coming up and would be, what a great gift it would be. What a surprise if I got ruby earrings for uh, Christmas. And then she said, you know, my sister, she got ruby earrings. She's so lucky. And then she said, uh, oh, yeah. You know, I was down at the mall just the other day and I was in people's stores. I noticed they had these really nice ruby earrings on sale. And then she said, you know, so she just like repeats that seven times. Now, as husbands, I know we all suffer from the mental illness of not hearing what our wives are saying to us. But if you don't get what your wife is telling, when she repeats something seven times, you better go check for Alzheimer's. And so here we see Paul repeat the word grace seven times in two chapters on giving. And, and so it's not theological rocket science to figure out that that's his main point. You don't need a seminary degree to figure out that Paul wants us to realize that Christian giving is all about grace. And so that's my message uh, 
today, I've entitled it Grace-Based Giving. And the main point I want to make is that God desires us to move from the spiritual infancy of of, uh, fear and compulsion-based giving. He wants us to move into the maturity and the liberality and the joy of grace-based giving. And that's basically the main point of what I, I see Paul teaching us in this, in this chapter. So in the few remaining minutes we have together <clears throat> this morning, I want us to de- delve into this passage of Scripture, this chapter of chapter 9, and, and, and just to really discover what Paul says grace-based giving is and what Paul says grace-based giving is not. And uh, so first of all, I want to start with, with uh, just briefly describing what grace-based giving is, according to Paul. Now, the first point I want to make is this, and you may sound, this sounds really stupid, like duh, but I want to say this, my, the, the first point I want to make is this, is grace-based giving is grace-based giving. No one's laughing. Grace-based giving is all about grace, Okay. And so we see this here in the, in the six verses, the, the six times that Paul mentions grace uh, here. And he starts out in uh, chapter 8 and verse 1. You can, you can look at it with me. We'll just quickly do a quick uh, flyby on, on, the, on here. He's saying, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given the churches in Macedonia, that in, in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I can testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the participation, uh, the favor of participating in the support of the saints. And it's interesting to me that Paul credits all of that not to the good nature of the Macedonian church. He's not saying, like, those Macedonian Christians, they're really something. They're better than you Achaean Christians, than you Corinthian Christians. He's not saying that. He says, no, we wish to make known to you the grace of God that was given to them. And so he starts out the chapter on giving saying, you know, he really lets them have it with both barrels right off the start. And he's saying, you know what? The grace of God caused the Macedonian churches to give not only in a time of prosperity, but in a time of poverty. And not only that, but it caused them to want to give, caused them to want to give liberally. And so... um, you know, someone has rightly said, when it comes to, ch- to the church's budget, law-based giving may suffice for prosperous times, but only grace-based giving will suffice for times of economic hardship. Let me read that again. I think it's a, I think it's a prophetic word for the COVID day in which we live. When it comes to the church's budget, law-based giving may suffice for prosperous times, but only grace-based giving will suffice in times of economic hardship hardship. So he's, Paul is saying here and, and to, the, to the Corinthian church, he says, you know, I can see that God's grace produce in you the readiness to give. And I can see that his grace in you has produced and stirred your zeal to give. And, and God's grace has moved you to, to make a promise that you would give bountifully. And then in verse 6 to 8, he says, and God's grace in you is going to enable you to always have enough for yourselves for sowing bountifully in your giving and for an abundance of good deeds. 
You see, it's all the grace of God. Grace of God. He's saying the grace of God provides you with a seed, then produces the motivation in you to give joyfully, you know, hilariously, gladly, willingly, zealously. And not only that, but the grace of God is going to move you to give abundantly and generously. Not only that, it's going to move you to actually follow through with it and do it. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And it's going to, not only that, but the grace of God is going to come back on you so that you have even more to give and so that you have more grace. You see that? And so that we see the all-surpassing grace of God in this grace-based giving. Grace-based giving is for all of God's people in every church and in every age. There are no exceptions or exclusions. What God did in the Macedonian churches in the first century and what God did in the Corinthian believers in the first century, God is going to do in Grand Prairie Alliance Church in the time of COVID. Hallelujah. He's going to move our hearts to give like nobody's business. You see, and that's, that's the good news today. And that's what we really want to communicate this good news, okay? So the most amazing thing to me about grace, the, you know, grace-based giving, isn't that it causes God's people to give. The most amazing thing about grace-based giving to me is this, that it causes God's people to give generously and cheerfully without any reluctance, without any pressure, without any guilting, without any fear, without any compulsion. That's grace, friends. And so the good news of the gospel of grace is that you never have to impose generosity upon yourselves or on the rest of God's people. You never have to use threats or compulsion or motivate, to motivate extravagant generosity in yourselves if you're the child of God or in any of God's people. You can trust God's all-sufficient, abounding, overflowing, abundant grace to give you money to give, to give you the desire to give, to move you to follow through, and do it gladly and cheerfully and hilariously. Amen? Oh, I think you're going to be convinced. If you're not convinced yet, you're going to be convinced by the end of this chapter. So grace-based giving is grace-based giving. And as Paul uh, says in Romans, if it was of works, it would no longer be of grace. It would no longer be grace. But it is grace, you see. Grace, I like the acrostic when I teach on grace. And you've probably heard this acrostic many times. I got it from Victor Zachariah, so I'm going to use his words. I'm going to quote him a couple times here. Um, he's like a father to me. That's why I'm going to quote him. So anyways, grace, okay, G-R-A-C-E, God's rich resources at Christ's expense. And so grace-based giving is God's resources at Christ's expense, not your resources, not your willpower, not your generosity, not your money, but his money at Christ's expense. That's what grace-based giving is all about. So grace-based giving is 100% of God and 0% of men. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, not ours. So, grace so what is grace-based giving? Well, grace-based giving is giving by grace. When you say you're saved by grace, what does that mean to you? Well, I hope it means that it's entirely of, of God and nothing of you. Jesus plus nothing equals grace. 
And so grace-based giving is Jesus plus nothing equals giving. And I will unpack that some more. So grace-based giving is, uh, is, is, that's what grace-based giving is. Now let's look at what the text says about what grace-based giving isn't. Now I'd like to read every one of those verses on grace, but I want to encourage you to read these two chapters again and tell me if you're not seeing this in there. Sometimes it's like, you know, there's an elephant in the text and nobody's talking about it. Grace is the elephant in Christian giving, friends. And so, now let let me just spend a few minutes and explain to you what the passage says about what grace is not, okay? So we see what grace is. Grace is grace. It's all God. It's not of you. God, Jesus produces it, does it all from start to finish, okay? But let's look at what grace is not. So, um, excuse me, let's look at uh, chapter 9. Uh, and, and let's look at verses 9, 5 to 7. I'll just read a few, a couple of verses here to get us started and launch us from that. So <clears throat> he says there, Paul says, uh, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift, not affected by covetousness. And the NIV will use the word, so, so, uh, you know, so it's not grudgingly given. And the idea here is that Paul is saying, I want you to be able to give on your own terms, not feeling forced or pressured in any way. And so that's why I'm telling you ahead of time, because I know that God has put it on your heart to give. And I know that you, 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 you promised a huge amount, you know, a huge gift, a generous gift. I know that. I, you know, I know Jesus, and I know what he's done in your life. But I, I'm just telling you, so, you know, let's make sure that you set aside that money and follow through. Because if you don't, I'm going to come, and then you're going to be forced to do it reluctantly. And that's what God does not want you to do. He doesn't want to have that motive. He doesn't want you to feel pressured. So number one, grace-based giving is not pressured giving. So in today's vernacular, we would say there's no pressure in new covenant grace-based giving. Paul says, you know, I know God's grace placed this earnest and sincere desire, but I just want to make sure you follow through with it in a timely fashion so you don't feel any last-minute pressure to give. So I don't want grace-based earning to, to turn into reluctant giving, you see? And, and so, and so what, what does that look like in you and I? Well, what God's grace... When God's grace, not if, but when, when God's grace places a heartfelt desire in you to give a certain amount of money or to do a good dude, do it right away or the grace will pass you by. Not only should you do it right away, but you should do it first. If, you, if God lays a certain amount of thing on your heart by his grace and you, you feel this desire to give, you feel a certain amount you want to give, I want to encourage you, give it first. Because if you take that apple and you eat, take a bite for this payment and that payment and, and then this comes up and that and you wait and you hold off on it, pretty soon there's nothing left but the core. And then you have to, then you know, okay, well, you know, I wanted to give. And then you feel compelled to give. You feel reluctance in giving. You feel pressured in giving, you see. So when the Lord lays something on your heart to give, give it right away and give it first before you spend any more money on anything else. 
And as Victor Zacharias used to say, write the check right away before the divine desire departs. I like that. Write the check right away before the divine desire departs. Because if you wait, you're going to be giving reluctantly under pressure. So here's the, here's the kicker. So, so, so you know that if you don't give the money right away, like your heart wants to, you'll miss the grace of God in that giving opportunity, and your giving in that situation will turn from a cheerful thing into a pressure thing for you. So like God's, gra- uh, God's grace to obey or serve to do or do anything works in us, right? Okay. Whatever God desires us to do, his grace lays it on our heart to want to do it. The Bible says he, he works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Let, friends, if you don't want to do something, that's not Jesus. That's the voice of the law. That's the voice of compulsion. That's the voice of the devil. That's the voice of your peers pressuring you into doing something good. Listen, here's a simple discipleship principle right here that w- of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow them. So the Christian, uh, Christian discipleship is simply this. It's getting in touch with what Jesus is laying on your heart to do. What good thing, what loving thing, what, what good thing is he wanting you to do? And just doing that. That's what it means to follow Jesus, you see. Isn't that simple? That's enough right now. We can just go home. You just live that way. And by the way, the word of, the, the word of Jesus, this doesn't come to you subjectively. You know, it comes to you through the word of God, through the scriptures, through leaders, Christian leaders. It comes to you through your friends. That's Jesus speaking to you. And then you want to do it, you see. And so when you want to do it, that's the time to jump on it and do it. Don't put it off. Just do it right away. Amen? Okay. That's free, by the way. Uh, So if Jesus is in you, you're going to experience the desire to give generously in your heart, and it's going to be on your heart and on your mind, and you can stifle that desire, put that desire off, quench that desire, or delay that desire. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers, I don't want you to do that. So put it away right now, so that when I get here, you don't feel pressured, right? And so that's what I want to encourage you. I believe the Lord will lay it on your heart every week to give a certain amount. Just do it. Give it at the start of the, give it when you come to church, like it's the first day of the week. And then, you know, the rest is easy. And so that's how grace, that's how grace will look like in you. So first of all, grace-based giving is not pressure giving. Secondly, grace-based giving is not giving by compulsion and it's not giving reluctantly or uh, grudgingly. And that's what Paul says here in chapter, in verse six and, and verse seven. Let's look down in your Bibles there. He says, now I say, uh, say he who sows, well, I'm going to unpack that, by the way, in a few minutes, verse 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who, uh, he who uh, sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purpose in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Well, people, friends, beloved, what don't we understand about not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you are feeling compelled, but you don't, your heart isn't in it, you don't want to do it, don't do it. The freedom of the Christian life is that we, move, we live and move and stand in the grace of God. And we, 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 don't have to, we don't have to do it if you don't want to do it. 
And that's the beauty of grace-based giving. Is that God's saying, look, if you don't want to give it, don't give it to me. It's okay. I don't need your money. I'm more interested in your motivation in your heart than I am in the amount of money you give me. Hello? Okay, you get it. I'm meddling. I know. Enough meddling. Let's move on. And so grace-based giving is not giving reluctantly under compulsion. So I just want to give you three or four ways quickly, very quickly, of, of what, you know, what, what happened, like how does Christians end up giving reluctantly or under compulsion, okay? And the first is I've already mentioned, we, we end up giving reluctantly or under compulsion when we don't give immediately as our heart's desires. When we don't follow our heart right away, like and just do it. Because then we... You know, it, we end up doing that, but we end up doing it reluctantly. Secondly, we invariably end up giving reluctantly and under compulsion. Now listen to this. When we are threatened into giving. So the message is this. Give or else. Friends, give or else is not grace-based giving. That's law. Listen to this. The worst thing we can do to promote generosity Generous giving in the church is to place ourselves under any laws compelling us to give. The biblical principle is this. Placing ourselves under the compulsion of law in anything always increases disobedience to that law. You can read about this principle in Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, I was doing pretty good with not being covetous. Interesting, it's the, it's the covetous uh, thing that got him, the law of covetous, which is completely related to your giving. Hello? He says, I was doing pretty good about not being covetous until I was placed under the law of covenanting that said, thou shalt not covet. And then as soon as I was placed under the law of co- regarding covenant, that made me the worst covenant person ever. But when I die to the law through the death of Jesus and I entrust myself instead entirely to his grace alone, apart from the law, I am freed from this principle. So whenever we place ourselves or any of God's people under laws and principles of giving, we will produce in them the exact opposite of what we hope to see in them. When we compel the law of tithing, for example, and now don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want you to tithe. I'm saying Jesus doesn't want you to compel tithing. Hello? Okay? Demand it or else threaten with it. As soon as, we, as, soon as, as soon as we put ourselves under the, 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 the law of tithing, uh, we, we immediately, the unintended result is that the majority of, the, the, of God's people won't tithe. But we, when we entrust God's people to his grace alone in their giving, they will give generously and cheerfully. Here's the principle. You will give reluctantly and under compulsion when you place yourselves under a law of giving. You know, the latest church statistics prove this. I read this very thing, and providentially, I believe God put it on my desktop this week. I read an article in Christianity Today just this week, and they did a, uh, the Barna Group did a survey, and the results is fascinating. It says, of the American evangelical churches that regularly preach and compel the law of, the, the law of tithing, only one in every 11 people in those churches actually tithe. Friends, that's Romans 7. That's why. It doesn't work. And, now listen to this, 
And, and in those churches that compel tithing, compel their members to tithe, it says the average giving, household giving in those churches is 2.545% of household giving. 2.54% in those churches. Now, listen to this. In the evangelical churches that do not compel the law of giving, but simply teach grace-based free will giving, the average percentage given of the total household giving is 4.85%. Now, isn't that amazing? Facts don't lie. What it's saying here is that God's people give twice as much under grace than they do under law. <laughs> it's awful quiet in here. You see, the Bible alone ought to convince us of this reality, but wisdom is proven right by her children. People invariably will give reluctantly or under compulsion when they place themselves under a law of giving instead of simply following the grace of God within their own hearts. Okay? Number three, we invariably end up giving reluctantly or under compulsion when we falsely connect God's provision of our needs with our giving. So the false message is this. You have to give your, your Heavenly Father money or he won't give you more money for yourself and your family. Nothing can be further from biblical reality or from Jesus' teaching. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. What? He gives them money? He gives them, he gives them stuff without sowing? sowing? Yeah. And Jesus looks at them and says, how much more were your Father in heaven? How much, how much more valuable are you than they? You see? And so God's provision is not connected to your giving, friends. And I'm going to unpack this again and again in this message before we get done today. Jesus, Jesus said, freely you have received. Freely give. Paul says, God freely provides us with all, everything for our enjoyment. He said, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, God will give you the world if your soul isn't in danger by giving you the world for free. Not because you give, not because you're entitled to it, not because you earned it by giving. No, giving, Christian giving, grace-based giving is not tied to your provision, friends. So now, if this was my Bible study class in Sunday school, I know what would happen about this time. Someone would put up their hand and ask this question. Barry, doesn't it say here that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly? And so doesn't that mean that God won't increase my provision unless I give bountifully? Did you hear the question? I'm glad you asked that question. So that verse is often pulled out of context where it says here, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And, uh, and it's used like a carrot and a stick for God's people. You know what I'm saying? Like the carrot is, if you just give more, you'll get richer. And the stick is, if you don't give, you're, go you're going to be poor. Hello? You see but that's out of context. Let's look at the context again and see what it says. It's in the context of that. Verse 6 cannot be extracted from verse 7, which says, you know, it says God doesn't want you to give reluctantly or under compulsion. Friends, if you have to give, 
That's giving reluctantly or under compulsion. So the verse of sowing and reaping isn't contingent upon, is contingent upon not just the amount you give, but the motive in which you give it. Do you see what I'm saying? And so when we examine the context of this verse on sowing, we can clearly see that the sowing and reaping here is not merely evaluated on the amount of seed that is sown, but it is based on the motivation of the heart when sowing. You see, you can sow abundantly, but if you sow it reluctantly or under compulsion or covetously, like the prosperity preachers motivate you to give, and they say, you know what? If you give, then you're going to get rich. If you sow with the motive of covetousness, you don't qualify for the increase that God is talking about here. Because the increase that God is talking about here is the motive as well as the money. You need to, to sow bountifully in fact, if you, sow, if you sow a whole bunch of money, but you do it reluctantly or under compulsion or with covetousness in mind, you're sowing sparingly. And if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Oh, it's even quieter in here now. Okay, so let's look at what Paul actually says here. But the elephant in this text that... The, the, the carrot and stick preachers miss is that we clearly, when we examine this context, if we look at verse 10 especially, you cannot extract verse 10, verse, verse 6 from verse 10. Look down in your, in your Bibles or put, if you're, can you put verse 10 up on the board, uh, gentlemen, if it's possible? I want them to see this with their own eyes, those that don't, aren't, don't have a Bible. So it says here, now he who supplies seed for the, to the sower and bread for food, now let's look at this will supply and multiply your what? We'll supply and multiply your seed. Not your bread. So the law of sowing and reaping is for the increase. Seed is for giving. Bread is for eating. Bread speaks of your provision. And so your provision is free. And God will give you as much money as your soul can handle. Listen to me. The amount of money that you have, I guarantee you it's because of the sovereignty of God. He loves your soul more than anything. And he has given you as much money as your soul can handle without being endangered. And so, you know, it's not because you've sinned. It's not because you haven't given enough that you have the amount that you have. And it's not because it's the amount you give that because you're rich. Friends, that's what the Pharisees believed. That's not grace. But look at what Paul actually says. He says, God, so what is this sowing and reaping about? God is going to increase your seed and your righteousness doesn't say he's going to increase your provision, your bread. No, he gives you the bread. That's free. What kind of father sells his sons, oh, you need, to, you, know, you need to give to the family budget or you don't get to sit down at this table? Friends, that's a twisted father. Right? Which, who of you, have, though you were evil, don't do that? How much more should we not expect our heavenly father to do that? So, so you see, so, but, but here's the good news. 
The good news is that grace-based giving, when we give out of grace and not by law, not by compulsion, okay, not by, not by have to or else, not by the stick or the carrot, but when we give simply out of that voice, that desire that Jesus puts in all of his kids' hearts to give, when you give that, guess what? If you give abundantly, if you give bountifully, Jesus is saying, I'm going to increase your ability to do it bigger and better and more. So the increase is forgiving. It's not forgetting. Did you hear that? You see, don't, don't listen to the prosperity. They're twisting this passage of Scripture. And the good news is this is that when we are under, under law, we, it, it makes us tight-fisted. And if we're tight-fisted, you know the guy, you know the guy, you know the guy, the guy who never has enough money to give to the Lord's work or to the Lord's people. Never has enough money for the Lord's work or the Lord's people. Have you ever noticed that? But the guy who, by grace, he's just hilariously following his own heart. Oh, yeah, I want to give this. And he gives that. The guy who goes by grace, he always has an abundance to give. And his abundance grows. And God gives him more back so that he can give more. And he just keeps on getting gooder and gooder. Amen? You see that? So this is the good news about grace-based giving, is that when you sow by grace, you're going to reap grace. When you sow by grace, you're going to reap grace to give more. And this is what God wants his people to get into and get into their heads. He wants you to release you from the, from the, from the guilt and from the, and from the have-to giving and from the shame-based, law-based, compulsive, reluctant giving. He wants you to move... By the way, that's spiritual immaturity. If you read the scripture, what does Paul say? When you're still living by law and by self-imposition, you're spiritually immature. You need to come into the mature. Spiritual maturity is moving by grace rather than by law. And we need to grow up. So God wants us to grow up in our giving and get us free and release us from every pressure, every compulsion to give. And just follow the grace of God, what we want to give. And when we do that, Oh, hell, test me in this, says the Lord. See if I don't open the floodgates of heaven upon Grand Prairie Alliance Church. And see if we don't have enough to meet the church budget. See if you don't have an abundance to give. And the irony is this, that even though sowing and giving is not connected to your provision, in some sense, it kind of is indirectly, and here's how. Because God, now you've come into maturity, now you've come into this generous heart of Jesus and following it, and God can entrust you with more affluence. Isn't that interesting? So it's kind of like the rich get richer. He who has will be given more. But he who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Given, it will be given unto you. A good measure, shaken down, running over. Amen? Okay, I'm preaching. I got to quit that. I, it's the Pentecostal in me is coming out. i stifle that. Okay, so giving only, uh, only affects the amount God increases your seed, not your bread. 
Number three. So grace-based giving is not by compulsion. It's not under pressure. And it's not by do it or else. It's not law. It's not by law, okay? That's the law. Do it or else. You're under a curse if you don't give under law, friends. But that's not the way it works in, in, the, in the Lord's household. See, those are, that's for, that's, those, are, those are rules for slaves, not sons. Okay? So, number three, grace-based giving. And I'll just quit, finish with this, and, and, and we'll end it here. Give me, give me three more minutes, five more minutes. Grace-based giving is not always feel-good giving. So, you, you'll say, well, Barry, didn't you just say that grace will cause our hearts to want to give? And, and, and want to give generously, and that grace will make us desire to give cheerfully and with joyfully? Yes, but the Bible doesn't teach that grace-based giving will be without pain or self-denial or self-sacrifice. You see, Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it looks like, the grace of giving. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And so, you know, how feel good is that? Jesus is leaving the glories of heaven to live in that dusty, dirty, tyranny-ridden town of Nazareth in a 300-square-foot hovel with dirt floors and no air conditioning and barely enough heat. And he's living in there with two parents and probably about seven or eight siblings. And he's living in, uh, you know, a yard that's maybe five feet to the next big Jewish family, poor Jewish family. How feel good is that? You see, do you see what I'm saying? You know, we, we've got this view of grace that grace, you know, it just, you know, it's kind of, it just, you never feel any pain. You'll never have to sacrifice. You'll never have to deny yours. Do you understand what I'm saying? But Grace makes you want to do that, and Jesus wanted to do that. And so grace is, is Jesus. It's Jesus in you. And so the same Jesus that wanted to become poor to make you rich, guess what? He's going to want to give it away in you as well. Oh, you say, well, I don't know if I want that grace. Do you want that grace? I think you do as God's people. I think you want to have Jesus' heart. And, and so Paul says, you know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace-based giving is always cheerful and heartfelt willing, but it's not always feel-good giving. Grace-based giving is sacrificial giving. Grace-based giving is cheerfully giving up stuff you really wanted to buy and giving that money away. Grace-based living, uh, giving is joyfully giving, living on less so that you can give more. Grace-based giving is having a smaller nest egg so that you can give more. Grace-based giving is cheerfully and not grudgingly living on a tighter budget so that you can sow more. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and so grace-based giving is a heartfelt desire to give, and it's cheerful giving, but it's not always feel-good giving. So grace-based giving is by grace, what is it not? It's not under pressure. If you feel pressure, just cool it. Just back off. Just hold back your check, okay? And grace-based giving is not reluctantly or under compulsion, and it's not always feel good, okay? 
But here's the good news. Here's the good news. And this is what I want us to come away with. The good news is that none of us has to wring generous giving out of our selfish hearts. That God's grace will move us and motivate us to want to give cheerfully. And the only thing that will shut that grace down is if you place yourself under compulsion, under law. Paul says we are not under grace, not under law, but we're under grace. And why is he saying that? Because you have to choose. If you're under law in giving, you feel compelled to give, then you're going to miss the grace of God. You have to be sold out and trust the grace of God. And believe that he's, he, he's got you covered. He's got your provision covered. And believe that he's going to move you to give. You see, you see what I'm saying? Okay, you, you get it. So this is what I believe that God is saying. He wants us to move from the reluctance and the guilt and the, and the, and the pressure and the compulsion of law-based giving into the, the spiritual immaturity of that, into the spiritual maturity and the joy and the liberality and the abundance of grace-based giving. Are you game for it? Amen. Okay, so I just have one action point, and I only have, ever have one action point when I preach and teach, and the action point is this. Repent and believe the good news. Amen, Michael? What a good...